This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Deceased Cast, Episode 4. Here we're going to cover Hope at World's End, the first seven issues. I'm your host, Ian, and with me I have... This is Steph. And this is Theo. Uh, We have one element of news that I wanted to impart to our audience today, which I just found out today myself, which is that originally this was going to be a a twice-a-month, 14-issue series, digital first. And... Tom Taylor on Twitter revealed that it has been extended to 15 issues to wrap up the story the best way that the team could. So that's pretty exciting for those of us who've been enjoying the series. And without any further ado, we're going to get straight to our summary of Deceased Hope at World's End. All of it is written by Tom Taylor. And we have art by Dustin Nguyen, Renato Guedes, Carmine Di Giandomenico, and Marco Faya. Chapter 1. Jimmy narrates from the middle of the climax with images of his pictures from throughout the series, how the Daily Planet was infected, how Superman saved him, and the events of the first half of Deceased, ending by setting up the dramatic heroes versus anti-life army battle. Chapter 2. Black Adam kills all infected in Kandak with no mercy, preserving it. Superman and the League beg him to take in refugees, but he refuses. However, Superman convinces him to see with the eyes of man, so he walks the streets of his country without his powers. Tragically, this allows an infected child to infect him. Chapter 3. Wally West tries to slow the spread of the virus, brushing off Batman's advice to hide. He meets with other speedsters, Impulse, Max Mercury, and Jesse Quick, and they evacuate 200,000 citizens to another dimension's Earth. Max is infected, and he runs into the speed force to avoid infecting anyone else. Chapter 4. Wink and Airy from Taylor's Suicide Squad, arrive at the fortress of Jotunheim, greeted by foes of the Suicide Squad past. In the Fortress of Solitude, Damien faces putting on the Batsuit, encouraged by John. Superman convinces Damien to embrace his fate, and Wink and Airy discover Black Adam and the nation of Kandak, all infected, headed towards Jotunheim. Chapter 5. The new Batman steals Wonder Woman's invisible jet and is joined by John and Cassie Sandsmark, Wonder Girl. After a brief brief window shield kill of undead Kite Man, they meet Talia, who has already killed all of her undead former assassins. 
They go to see Batman's tomb, where they see Jason's gravestones and find Steph, who comforts Damien. They head back to the fortress, and Steph declares that Damien needs a Robin herself. Chapter 6 Ari heads to find the Amazons, while the Suicide Squad and Wink try to hold off Black Adam, Nightshade, and the undead army of Kandak. Though Wink teleports Adam into a mountain, Nightshade opens a portal for the enemy to invade Gottenheim, just as Adam breaks the mountain in half, which Wonder Woman catches. Chapter 7 The Justice League arrives, saving the people in Gottenheim and holding off Black Adam, Hawkman, and Hawkwoman. Fight. But Hawkman is turned. The day is saved temporarily, but the next day, Nightshade just opens another portal to attack again. All right. So since this is a bi-weekly series, even though it is roughly half issues, so it's basically one issue a month, DC has scheduled such that it has four artists featured in the first half. Uh, as I mentioned, it's Dustin Nguyen, Renato Guedes, Carmine D. Domenico, and Marco Faya. Dustin Nguyen only does the first issue, where Jimmy's narrating and you see the photos of John and Damien and Steph. Uh, Renato Guedes does most of the first uh, three or four issues after that, except for the Flash issue, which was drawn by Carmine D. Giandomenico. That's notable because uh, Carmine did most of the Flash run early on in Josh Williamson's run. He's incredibly fast at drawing and also has a very great jagged, speedy look to his art. Um, He also did a lot of the... Uh, Detective Comics run by James Robinson, which was a terrible run, but really nice art. And he's done a bunch of Batgirl recently in the last couple of years. Uh, Marco Faya does issue, um, I think, five, six, and seven. So which is your favorite artist of the four that were featured in this half? It's hard not to be biased because I opened up the first issue and saw my babies drawn by Dustin Wynn. And it made me so happy. And I didn't realize it was going to be different artists. So I was actually pretty excited to see Dustin Wynn thinking he'd do a few more, but he didn't. So that one was biasly my favorite, but um, they were all really pretty good. Uh, Dustin DiDomenico ones were really great. It's really hard to pick. I thought they were all very good. They were definitely all pretty good, and you can never go wrong when Dustin Wynn is around. But I was I was very impressed with Falia as well. I I really enjoyed uh, the work he did, especially on Chapter Five. Um, so since Steph's going with uh, Dustin Wynn <laughs> and her babies, I'm going to uh, I'm going to go with Marco Falia. I mean. I also have certain biases, um, although I am also a huge fan of Dustin Nguyen because he did four issues of Steph's Batgirl run, and he's done so much good stuff like Little Gotham, which we've covered, and he does Ascender and Descender for Image. He's just a great artist. I have to say for this specific series, though, my bias would be towards Faya because he gets to draw Steph as Robin, although another artist does get to draw her in the second half. Faya has a really cute, cartoony style. I'm not sure. And that's, what, that's definitely why I liked it. Yeah, it's, it's really clean. It, it's it really, really made it feel like a comic book. Yeah, absolutely. It's very great comic book. I'm, 
and it doesn't quite feel house style. It's not like Jim Lee style. It's it's just really appealing in in a cartoony and energetic way. It's got a real good energy to it. I I gotta say though, I also did really like D. Gian Domenico's art. I'm a big fan of his ever since he did the Punisher run with Greg Rucka. He's got a really rough and powerful style that also is able to get some really good emotional moments. So a really good um, slate of artists for this half, and I would say second half too, but it's a different group. Um, I'm going to have to go with, with Theo and say Faya is my favorite just because of subject matter and just because he's he's really appealing. But on Yeah, but really, there was nothing. Like I remember us just ripping, oh, which one was it apart, the, the second spin there was first spin-off but that was just awful and oh, there's man. the just, art honestly, for that first spin-off i mean i don't know what happened but this spin-off gorgeous this is gorgeous there's nothing i have nothing to complain about in the art in any of these yeah, there's there's like. no there's no moments like i i liked unkillables i i think i i said that but that art was a real chore sometimes to get through <laughs> let's go to next what's our favorite issue of these seven issues that we're covering uh, five. <laughs> that's, not, that's not even a question. Are we all going to say five? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember. I remember when when the, the chapter was released, and Ian was on the Discord, just having a fit in in, in glee because of <laughs> how it how it ended. So, and you know, I hadn't read it yet, but. I knew that it had to have involved Steph from from <laughs> how he was reacting on the Discord server. And so as after I downloaded and looked at it, I was like, oh, my God, this is wonderful. And, and it was, you know, again, the, the art was just it, it felt like a a true comic book with how Falia uh, drew it. I and just realized get that Faya really reminds me of Jimenez, who, of course, did Super Sons. So I think that's part uh, of why we're all responding so positively to it, because we're all <laughs> big Jimenez fans. And then you get to the end, that last page, and, and you know, you see Batman needs a Robin and death stuff with, you know, Pinpin in that costume, as we remember from... Uh, days gone by well so and i gotta say so talking about all of them i I was a little worried when i started because i mean i love jimmy jimmy was always my favorite from from i mean i never really read the comics but you know i watched i've watched all the the superman shows and stuff and jimmy was always my favorite and i was just a little worried that none of these really had too much of an emotional impact on me because the first one was a little I mean, it's just retelling the first book from one floor down. <laughs> so, I mean, it wasn't, I don't know, that exciting. And then, so so all of them were good, but I just wasn't, I don't read Flash, so I didn't really care about his wife making it and being separated from Wally. I didn't care. I didn't know who the old guy was that got turned. Yeah, me neither, so, right? I think I had to look him up. And then, and, and I didn't even realize that the Wink and Aerie are new to Suicide Squad and they're, Tom Taylor's baby. So, cause I, so I didn't really care about that one. So I was just so worried that maybe I'm an emotionalist hag and, <laughs> and I didn't care. And then I got to issue five and just my little bat heart melted. And it was just so f- interesting seeing, because da- this one is a fun thing. And I will say seeing 
Jonathan laughing about the zombie kite man being smooshed against the invisible jet was a little out of character, but I guess I guess zombie apocalypses change us. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will admit it was good seeing Kathy, but the idea of uh, Damien sitting in the invisible jet with his legs spread. Thank God. That was a little silly. Um, but just, uh, I don't know, like seeing Damien be so unsure of himself. Like that's, what's getting to me is that he's, he's, his confidence is gone. Like he's still Damien, but he just is not ready to be Batman. And is just comes through in every panel. Like he's just, I don't know. But anyway, I love this. The, the, yes, the episode made me, re- or the issue made me realize that I'm not emotionless. <laughs> it was really good. Yeah. One thing I will say, and it's not just about hopes at Weldon, but just uh, with all of the seats that we've covered thus far and will cover, is and I constantly ask myself, would I be okay with this Damien in the main DC universe? Mm. And and I don't know because I'm, I'm just so used to that that snarky dick that gets on everybody's nerve, you know, who everybody just wants to choke to death. <laughs> and I don't know, but I mean, I read this Damien and like, like Steph said, you, you read this Damien and it's been that way since Bruce died in deceased number two. He, he's still snarky, but this humanized character that we see now, you know, because unlike the Damien we're used to, who is just overconfident in every way, you don't have that in this character. And, and Taylor does an absolutely wonderful job in characterizing this new Damien in, in this new universe of deceased. One thing that Taylor can do in Deceased and in Injustice is because he's not tied to having to return to a status quo at the end, he can have character development. And so Damien in in Injustice, obviously he's also an adult, but he's a completely different person than he was at the beginning. And so this he was also Damien, a dick. He's, you know, he was also a dick. <laughs> and this Damien, you know, is being forced into a, into a role that as a child he's definitely not ready for. But you know, he all, and he he understands the weight of it, and it's changing his character. And I I'm okay with that. Like, no, I don't think it would be okay for at the end of all of this that Damien to be in the comics because it's a totally different person. But I'm okay with this character development. This seems to make sense. So, as we've already discussed, my favorite issue is definitely number five as well. I mean, most of the issues are interesting and effective. I would agree with the. What Steph said, the first issue really is just retelling the events of Deceased Part 1. Um, I really wanted... I'm really curious if Taylor looked at the um, end of James Tynan's first arc of Detective Comics, where Tim has quote-unquote died, and... Steph is mourning and Batman comes and gives her a hug because it feels like Damien mourning Batman and Steph comes and gives him a hug is 
a deliberate reversal of that. And it was just kind of fun. I think I posted on Tumblr uh, the two pages next to each other. I think that it was just a, a well-constructed issue, although I, I also share the... It's kind of weird seeing kids. I mean, these are kids. They're like four, 13, 14, most of them, um, laughing about very violent death. Yes. But, I mean, it, yeah, is, was- it is a zombie apocalypse, so you kind of expect that kind of thing. You have to find humor. It's like nurses and doctors. Like, they have to find humor in the dark, otherwise they would go crazy. Well said. Um, so, next question I have is, does this series at least so far i think it we're we're coming near the end it hasn't finished by the time we're recording this but we're coming to the end and we're starting to feel the feet pieces fall together but i i feel like at the beginning in this first half it kind of feels like a bunch of different stories that aren't too connected to each other did you have that that feeling Oh, definitely. I think that's one thing that kind of stopped me from being too emotionally involved is because they're so short and you barely can get a flavor for what's going on and then it's over. So, like, especially the Flash one, because the, 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 the Fortress one and the Kadok one, that those kind of all intersected. But the Flash story came and went and the Jimmy story came and went and the Damien one even even was like an issue and a half. So they did go a little fast. It was hard to get too emotionally connected. Yeah. I I think that's the downside with these digital first, you know, the fact that they're so short, it's kind of hard to, to establish a flow. And, you know, definitely these issues do feel, I'm going to use the word disjoint, disjointed, but they're not. I think it's by design uh, that Taylor is doing this, you know, and it will be interesting to see how the flow is if you were to read it all at once from start to finish. Um, but yeah, definitely different stories. So... Um, our next question has to do with the covers for the issue. So for the first two covers, they commissioned Ben Oliver to do standalone digital paintings. But for the rest of the issues, they did what they've been doing for a lot of these digital first comics, which is taking a splash page from the interior art and sort of obviously removing all the speech bubbles, but also maybe drawing in as some extra background to fill it out a bit more and using that as the cover. Um, do you have a preference for one or the other? Do you have a favorite cover from the run? I have a preference. I certainly don't mind it. I mean, one thing that we complain about on a regular basis is that didn't happen in the issue. And when they take a screenshot or a, a copy of, of one of the splash pages, you literally can't say that because it is it is a scene from it. So I, I don't mind that. It, some people might think it's a little spoilery, but I mean, if you don't really aren't expecting it, then... It's a surprise that it actually does happen. <laughs> um, I'm I'm fine with it. I guess I would. I actually would prefer a scene from the issue just so we can stop complaining that that didn't actually happen. But um, the two paintings they did for the the first two issues are very cool. And so if you're going to create a new cool art that matches what happens in the issue, then I'm fine with both. Yeah, I'm 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 okay with it, uh, especially if it's. If somewhere down the line we get a collected edition, you know, where, you know, we we get 
a nice little trade or we get uh, new issues somewhere down the line. Yeah, I, I, I'm okay with it. You know, it, it, it it's it's no biggie. It's it's a 99 cent book, so it, mm. you know we can't we can't expect everything. Yeah, I think that DC that DC's digital editorial has been pretty judicious in the way they've selected their splashes for the covers. Um, I actually am. I don't know if I'm unusual in this way, but a lot of people complain when someone only does cover art, like Art Germ or Josh Middleton or um, Lee Bermejo. I mean, obviously, Lee Bermejo does some, but he mostly does cover work. Um, and they're like, this is false advertising. It's not what's inside the comic. Um, I I like it. I like the art. Um, I like the variant covers, so you can have a, a second cover. Oftentimes, that's com- these days completely just the art, so it's really just a visual showpiece, even if it doesn't have much to do with the inside of the comic. Um, but I, I will say, even though that's my preference of a separate artist who really focuses on a polished piece to sell the book, editorial has worked well with the artist to pick good covers for these issues. Um, so I don't know if I have a favorite from this run, but I'd say all of the covers are good. I, I guess maybe the, the Carmine D. Gian Domenico Flash cover um, was really cool. That one's very dynamic. That has a lot going on, and it's... That one's pretty cool. Yeah. A little gory, but... All right. And our last question for the episode, what is the message of Black Adam being infected when he takes Superman advice to walk through... Can dock as a human who's vulnerable, and then he gets infected. Like a political message or a social? Well, message? like a thematic message. Like, do you do you feel it is a message, or do you just think it's supposed to be an accident, or what? How did that strike you? I liked that he was willing to try something new as a leader. That he did what he thought was right, but he also listened. So he obviously doesn't like, I, I don't know him very well, but he obviously doesn't like Superman, <laughs> but he took something that someone he doesn't like said, took it to a, a, an advisor and got his take on it, which I think is a very wise thing to do. And I think all leaders should do that. They should have people trust that they can bounce stuff off of. And he decided to take the advice and, and, talk to the people and see what his people think of him. I think that's very smart and very wise. And I think that's what a good leader should do. Um, I think that was a bit of a plot device to get him infected. Uh, I don't think the message should be take good advice, care for the people and then get screwed and become evil. Cause that's not a normal thing to happen. <laughs> um, but uh I thought I thought I loved that part. I actually really, really appreciated that he did that. And I was really sad that he got infected from it. What I took is one that what works for Clark Kent doesn't work for ah. everyone else. Um, and Boy Blue needs to mind his own business and let conduct be ruled the way it was. But um, seriously, though, yeah, there was it was it. It, to me, it was definitely a political message on on leadership, and it was it was good to see Adam take those steps until eh, until he got infected, which you know I thought was 
quite cruel. Um, I've always been a a fan of Black Adam. I've always seen him more as a anti-hero than a than a villain, even though he is. Um, but yeah, it, it it was a nice step of leadership. I think that was just a, a, a political yeah political plot point that Taylor drew in. Try saying that three times. Um, and I was, I was okay with it. I, I didn't like the fact that you know Adam went through all that he did to purify conduct, only for it to get zombified anyway, thanks to Clark Kent not knowing to leave well enough alone. I obviously this sort of stuck out to me, but it really kind of bothered me that. You know, Adam, he was ruthless in the way he killed all the zombies and the infected, but he was doing it to keep his people safe. Like, that's always Mm -hmm. been something that he's been really big on, is keeping his people safe. And he does wrong actions in doing that, but it makes him kind of an interesting character, because as Theo says, he's often an antihero. He's not the simple mustache-twirling villain. He's got reasons that aren't just selfishness for doing what he does. And... It felt dissonant to me to have him trying to do the right thing and listen to Superman and be punished for it. And and that's just... Maybe it's a message that bad things can happen even when you try to do the right thing, but I... It, it was rough. It was a rough part of this this half of the book, and I still don't quite know what to do with it. And now it's time for everyone's favorite part of the episode, Ian's bad take of the episode. So my bad take this time is that Tom Taylor's fan service for his Suicide Squad characters, namely um, Aerie and Wink, doesn't pay off very well. Um, and I would include later in the series, too, because it just uh, does... It's It may pay off later, because there are still three issues to go, but I think that they are mostly there so he can give them more exposure from his suicide squad run. And I don't think it's quote unquote fair for him to kill off all these classic suicide squad characters like nightshade and, um, then leave his authorial pets to survive. I don't know. That was my bad take. So tell me why I'm wrong. Well, so I haven't been reading suicide squad, so I had no idea who these people were. I thought I was just, you know, I didn't know Black Adam very well. So maybe I just missed him, right? Um, I think it's fine. I mean, come on. We got all these characters that all these authors invent and create, and then nothing happens with them. And we all know that they'll only ever get used if that author comes back to the book or whatever book they're working on. So I think the fact that he invented these characters and he's using them in different universes in different ways is fine. He created them. He can do with them what he wants. And he's not just. He's not just shelving them for whatever, a rainy day. I don't know why. But I think it's fine. And and I enjoyed them. It was new, fresh, it was fresh blood. <laughs> uh, if, they have, if they're wearing plot armor or if they're wearing author armor, armor uh, author love armor, um, you know, that's fine. That's fine. It's good. It's, it's, it's good to know there's going to be some characters that won't be zombified because... Poor Hawkman didn't get that. Um, so it's it's good. It's I like it. 
So it would be unfair for me to tell Ian how wrong he is, uh, since I too have not been following Taylor's Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad, um, but like Steph mentioned, it it's fine. It's it's his characters. It's his series. He gets to do what he wants. And again, it's a, it's a, it's an alternate universe. So by the time everything is all said and done, you know everybody's going to be dead, and then we just get go back to DC Prime when it's all said and done. Um, well, yeah, just to so clarify, it, my bad take is not that he can't use characters he created. That's not like I wouldn't begrudge James Tynan writing an AU and putting like Punchline or Crowlinger in. So I don't begrudge Taylor putting Aerith and Wink here. My problem is that they feel like they have plot armor, and that annoys me when he kills off Hawkwoman. No, I mean Hawkman Man. and Barda and Mister Miracle and um, Superman. I mean he's and Batman and all the bat boys except for Damien. like he's killed so many people but he doesn't kill these two and it just feels unfair to me so that's my bad take it's not that he can't use them isn't that the point though is that we're getting to know characters we wouldn't normally get to see or read and i think that's cool and it's his book and it's his book it is his book but i'm the reader so i can be (laughs) wrong okay um, so that's our episode. Hope at World's End, issues one through seven. We're going to start on DC's Dead Planet, issues one through four next time. Uh, I want to thank uh, Theo and Steph for joining me. And thank you, our listeners. And if there's any patrons. Wait, wait a minute. Who else would you have? Are you, are you trying to say there's others besides <laughs> Steph and I? I'm saying that I'm grateful that you're doing it with me. (laughs) Ian, stepping out on the step. Oh, no. Hey, I'm not the one who's going to be absent next week. Calling you out. I have class. (laughs) I'm learning. Um, Okay. So thanks for listening. Let us know what uh, you think on Discord or on... Um, Twitter at TBU underscore comics. We would love to read any feedback you have about deceased um, or my bad take. Please feel free to join in and setting me right. Uh, until next time, we will continue reading the upcoming installments of Dead Planet and Hope at World's End. I've been Ian. This is Steph. And this is Theo. And thanks for listening. <laughs>